The scripture is from is a reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with them, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate pe people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep and goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. The king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it when we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw sick per you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly, I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these, who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You are accursed. Depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. For I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. For I was a stranger, and you gave and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. These are our sacred stories. In this parable, what makes some blessed is the fact that, though they didn't realize it, in seeing those in need and helping them, they saw and helped Jesus. By contrast, what makes others cursed is that they never saw Jesus' suffering because they never saw those in need. They never saw outside themselves. They didn't help. The king addresses each of these two groups as either blessed or cursed and announces the consequences. The blessed sheep ask, when did we see you hungry? When did we meet your needs? And the miserable goats ask the same question, when? And the answer to both groups is the same. Truly, I tell you, just as you did it or did not do it, to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. When did we see you? When did we? And the king said to them, 
I've been reading this passage and considering individual sheep and individual goats, but they're grouped together. The king addresses all the sheep and all the goats. All the sheep. All the goats. <laughs> Just kidding, nobody's a goat. Kingdom building is collaborative work. As John Dominic Crossan puts it, God without us won't, we without God can't. This collaboration creates the kingdom. The kingdom is now. Come and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Kingdom building is collaborative work and not just the work we do with the divine. It's also the work that we do with each other. The sheep, all the sheep, and the goats, all the goats are together. The king says to them, all of them, Friends, I don't know about you, but some days it's just too much for an individual. Some days I hear the words of William Wordsworth in my head. The world is too much with us late and soon. Getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. Little we see in nature that is ours. We've given our hearts away, a sordid boon. We're so small so limited against the vast violence and sickness and grief and war. What can we as individuals do? Do you ever feel that way? In this parable, the sheep are together and the goats are together. What if this is another example of a group project? I'm just the right age to be part of the group project guinea pig generation. Those of you who taught us were introduced to this novel way of teaching and you tried it out on us. The process seems to have improved somewhat. And we all know that with group work, sometimes folks get by with doing very little while others carry the team. And we've all likely been a leader and a slacker a time or two. Either way, the same grade. All the sheep get an A, and the goats don't. If we think about this life as a group project, then it's not about me. Not about me as an individual being worthy or not. Not about me as an individual finding a solution to homelessness and racism and homophobia and fear and war. If it's not about me as an individual, then perhaps this passage is not about the kind of judgment I grew up hearing about in youth camp. Not about my individual actions. Not even really about heaven. Not even really about hell. Not hellfire and damnation anyway. Jesus is focused on the here and now. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. On earth is where the kingdom is needed, where it must come. Heaven's in excellent shape. 
surely Jesus is talking about today's choices, this moment's choices, choices for compassion and justice, choices for apathy and ignorance. There's nothing here about believing in God so you go to heaven when you die. The Bible in general and Matthew in particular don't seem to be that interested in heaven and hell, not the way we think about them in modern times anyway. Nor are biblical scholars for that matter. John Calvin, that's right, John Calvin, hardly a liberal theologian. Calvin in 1,500 pages of the Institute of Christian Religion devotes only a couple of passages to heaven, one paragraph, only one to hell. Modern scholar N.T. Wright notes that there's almost no talk in the Bible about going to live in heaven when you die, and less about hell. He also reminds us that the continuous talk about the kingdom of heaven in Matthew's gospel is not about a place, not heaven, not some otherworldly aspect, but about God's rule, God's realm breaking into this realm. Thy kingdom come on earth. Now, let's be clear. The notion of salvation has been important as long as the story of God has been lived and told. The Judean Christian scriptures contain many metaphors for salvation. And let's be even clearer. Most of these metaphors have nothing to do with an afterlife. The dominant image of salvation in the Bible is liberation here and now. The freeing of the Hebrew people from bondage in Egypt is the primary narrative of salvation in the First Testament. In the Second Testament, it's the notion of freedom and it just continues to build on itself. In Jesus' very first sermon, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because God has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. God has sent me to proclaim release, freedom, liberation to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. Even Paul writes, Paul writes over and over again about Christ setting us free so that we're no longer trapped in our old way of being but released as new creations. In many churches, this biblical concept of salvation is ignored in favor of teaching that Jesus had to die as the punishment for our individual and particular sins. But Jesus lived in an empire that believed violence saves, that war brings peace, that might makes right. Jesus lived in an empire not too different from our own that sought violence for its redemption, not God. It let violence speak, not peace, not love, not justice. And Jesus counters the empire and its belief in violence. Jesus counters religious collaboration with the empire's violence and oppression. He does so until his dying breath. Salvation is about the transformation of the world by joining the work Jesus was passionate about, work to create the realm of God on earth where the oppressed are freed. 
where peace is secured not through violence but through love, where justice is established through sharing and compassion and economic transformation and welcome, welcome unfolds through radical inclusion. Beliefs about exclusionary salvation, particularly when they're paired with apocalyptic notions of the end times, generate fear. Sabrina was talking about that. And this fear provides fertile soil for manipulation. If we're going to heaven and the world will end anyway, why does it matter so much what happens on earth? Catastrophic climate change, structural inequalities, systematic racism, it's easy to think these things don't matter so much when we focus on a get-out-of-hell-free card. So perhaps there is some heaven or hell that sheep and goats might be separated into. But even if there is, surely God doesn't need our help with it. It seems to me that God is asking us again and again that we care now that we love now, that we work to end injustice now. Whatever happens when I die, the hell we're living in now, where children are shot in their schools, where families are struggling to pay their rent, where some people have to choose between medicine and eating. This hell, this hell needs salvation and I'm convinced that being a follower of Jesus means that we must be part of the saving, but not as individuals. Together, together, the sheep who notice together the needs and work together for solutions. The other poem I hear inside myself was written by Oscar Romero. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is even beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fragment of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work. Nothing we can do is complete, which is another way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that should be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. This is what we're about. We plant the seed that one day will grow. We water the seeds that are already planted, knowing they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We cannot do everything, and there's a sense of liberation in realizing that. It enables us to do something, and to do it very well. It may be incomplete, but it's a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end result, but that's the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. Jesus 
seems to offer similar encouragement to crowd after crowd when he says things like, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what should I compare it? It's like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in a garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds came and nested in it. And again, he said, to what should I compare the kingdom of God? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until it was leavened. And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a merchant in search of pearls, like a lost coin, like a lost sheep, like a lost son. Jesus said, let the children come to me, for to such as these belongs the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is made up of small things, children and yeast and seeds, small things that become mighty when mixed together with others. We work together. We contribute to the group project. And on any given day, we do our part, or we don't. But we know that we're together, building the realm of God here and now, where love, not violence, rules. And so, my friends, I'm thankful. Thankful to be part of this group project with each one of you and the legacy and the future of this church. We covenant together to work for justice and compassion and peace. We covenant together to notice the least of these, the Christs in our midst. And we covenant together to do the work of compassion each day. Amen.